Yeah, amen. Amen. Jesus through the Bible, he's all, all that we need, and we see him all throughout the whole of Scripture. And that's just a powerful video. You can actually find that on YouTube. It's, uh, uh, is it Tony Evans? Tony Evans. Uh, so if you want to watch that again or think about it or even think about how Jesus is in those different ver- books of the Bible, you can do that. Uh, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is uh, your first time here with us, we welcome you as our guests. There's those cards in the front of the seat. we just love to know that you're here and uh, be able to pray for you. So if you could fill one of those out. Hey, also this this morning, uh, I, I don't know if you if you noticed, you probably didn't because it wasn't that noticeable except for their faces weren't up here, but both uh, Jamie and Paul aren't here this morning. Uh, that is a first, Paul being our worship leader, and Jamie, um, one of our pastors who also plays the keys, uh, but the worship team held it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. give it up for them. Uh, so be sure to uh, let Jamie and, and Paul know that, uh, that you enjoyed it even without them. Don't rub it in their faces too much, uh, but let them know. Uh, you can go up to them and you can say, we're fine without you, uh, 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 because the Spirit of the Lord shows up and we, he's right on time. Uh, well, we're continuing our series uh, this morning. We've been calling it You Asked For It, and you've been submitting questions and, um, and have gotten some fantastic uh, questions on um, both Bible and uh, uh, theology and life and uh, the practice of Tri-Cities Church, more than we're going to be able to uh, answer during this series, um, um, but we're going to try to get to as many of them as possible. Uh, and, uh, and so, I, I, you know, and I don't know, I don't, I, you know, I've never done this before. I don't know even how to divide them up, but we're trying to do is answer some, um, some good, it's going to be at least six weeks, so some good biblical questions. Uh, we'll do some of those, and then there's some uh, good, like, practical, uh, everyday in life questions as well. So I think how this series will end up panning out is we'll do three weeks of, of good biblical theological questions that you might ask. Uh, and so that was like last week, and, um, and then next week. Last week we talked about, um, Bible and science. Uh, this week, uh, we're talking about the Bible and, and how uh, Christians can understand or should understand Old Testament law. Uh, and then uh, next week, I think we're going to talk about heaven and hell. So if that intrigues you, be here for that. Um, because that's always a question, you're right? That's, uh, you know, what is heaven? What is hell? How, how should we think about it? Who's going? Uh, is anybody already there? Uh, who has the power to send someone there? I don't know. A lot of people say, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, right? Go, you know, um, that people use, and, but we don't have that. We definitely don't have that power. So, uh, um, so, um, uh, but yeah, so we're going to look at that next week. So uh, if that interests you, uh, be here for that. Um, our, our question this morning, I actually jotted it down. It'll be up on, this, on the slides. And so this is a question we're going to attempt to answer this morning. It's uh, why do Christians uphold some laws and traditions of the Old Testament and not others? For example, marrying multiple women, uh, burnt offerings, uh, tithing, eating pork, uh, truly honoring the Sabbath, etc. Also, why do we recognize the Sabbath on Sunday uh, when it appears as though it should be Saturday? All right, so let's pray and then uh, we'll get into our message uh, for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to, uh, to open the scriptures, to crack them open and to study them uh, and to uh, gain an understanding of uh, your word and your will uh, for our lives. And so, God, as we, as we navigate this um, sometimes misunderstood and often um, um, difficult topic, God, I just pray that you help us to understand how we, as a people who, um, who have Bibles, who own Bibles, who read Scripture, can understand uh, more fully and clearly uh, what it says and how uh, the, law, um, the law of God in which we delight uh, relates to our lives today. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the Bible's a, um, the Bible's a peculiar book, right? It's not like any other book. Um, it's not like any other book that, that you ever read, but it's a peculiar book. But And I think that, as I was thinking about it this week, I, I think that it's best to uh, read the Bible like a story, right? That it is a story, one story, a whole story of, of God and what God is doing in this world. But it's, but, it, but it's difficult to say that, right? Because it's not like... It's just not like other stories. I don't know if you're a, you read novels or anything like that. Uh, I, I never really got into the novel thing. I got, I got this one book, uh, A Brother to a Dragonfly. It's on my, um, I don't even know what it's about. Something about the Deep South and Alabama. It sounds interesting. I've heard, I've heard fantastic things about this book. Uh, and I've been trying to read this book for now. It's a novel. I've been trying to read this book for now eight years at least. 
Uh, I've owned it. I pull it out and I start it and I read like the first two chapters and then I quit, right? Because I'm, I'm just not a novel kind of guy. I, I've never read it. But the Bible's not, I don't know where I'm going with that, but the Bible's not like a novel, right? It's not like that book, right, that has a smooth flowing story from beginning to end. But it is a story that begins in Genesis and it does flow from beginning to end. But it's a it's a story that's written, um, uh, it's more than 60, it's 66 uh, books in the Bible, right? There's more than 40 authors. There's two Testaments, right? These covenants, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it's one, it's one story. And it's a story that God has been writing and orchestrating throughout uh, history. It's a story of Jesus and God's plan to redeem this world that he created. And and the more we engage it, and this is the thing, I mean, because it's not like any other book that we've ever read. And there's nothing, um, there, there's nothing really um, um, that, that prepares us for studying the Bible because it's so uh, different. Uh, the, the thing that I found most helpful is that what, what we must do with Scripture is um, is not give up on it, right? Um, because, you know, my thing is, like, I'll open the Bible and let me just, you know, just open it. Like some of those books like Hosea or Zephaniah or Obadiah or, you know, when you, you open it to these different books in the Bible and it's like... Uh, it's like, what's going on here? Like, um, you, you could try to jump in in a specific place. That's always the question that I get um, most commonly uh, about reading scriptures. Where should I start? Like, where should I start? And Genesis is a good place to start, right? Right at the beginning. That's a good place to start. If you want to get a good picture of Jesus, uh, the book of John is a, a good place uh, to start easy, it's easy uh, as well. It's an easy read, and it gives us a, a, a broad stroke picture of, of, of Jesus and the things that he did and, and what he taught as well. Um, but but it's um, by engaging Scripture, we, we become familiar with this story, even to the point that we can jump in and we can, uh, we can find ourselves in the middle of it and we can, we can see what we're reading in light of the whole, because it is one whole story. I think one of the best questions we can ask whenever studying scripture is how does this section that I'm reading fit in with the rest of the biblical narrative, right? Um, so how does this section, and that's just a, that's just a good question to ask, um, because this is what happens, because the Bible's been divided into um, both books and chapters and numbers we tend to not read it as a story. We tend to pluck sections out, whether it's a verse or two or a chapter or two or even just a book, and we don't we don't read it as a whole story. Um, and so if, if we're doing that, I'm not saying that you have to only sit down and read the whole Bible every time you read it, because that's just not, um, that's just not very practical. Um, but we always got to ask that question is how does this section that I'm reading fit in with the whole of the biblical narrative because it fits, right? If there's something that looks like it fits, we don't just write it off as some in history have done and say, this just doesn't fit and scratch that section out of our Bible. Um, we have to, to, to study and to wrestle with and try to understand how, um, God intends for that to fit because it's part of his story and what he's doing in this world. And so in, in the, the Bible begins, the, uh, the first five books of the Bible are what's known as the Torah. It, it, that means teaching or, or um, instruction, laws. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the word of God. It's instruction from God for God's people. It's the Torah. Uh, first five books of, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I think that's that five. Um, first five books of the Old Testament is the Torah, instruction from God. And the beautiful thing about this um, is that it begins with Genesis. And last week even, we saw how Genesis starts, right? In the beginning, God created. And that's intentional, right? It, it's not so much instruction there, right? Even though the Torah is instruction for us, it's, it's law for us. That's not so much law, but in the beginning, God created. What the Bible is laying out for us from the very beginning of Scripture, and I think this is so important that we get it, is that it's a God who created this world, and he knows how it works best. And so instruction from God, so the Torah is kind of, um, it's presented to us as instruction from a God who knows how this thing works, right? So when we scratch our heads and we go, I don't know how this thing works, I can't figure this out, I can't figure out life, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation or that situation, right? We go back to the scriptures because they're instructions from God, law from God, for how this thing, life on earth, right, how God intended for that to work and how best we can make it um, 
through this world, like through this life in a way that glorifies and, and honors God. And so it begins there in a very important way uh, with, with the creation of the world. And so when we, when we read the Torah, right, the law of God, the Old Testament, especially Exodus, Leviticus, where there's some, um, there's some interesting stuff in there. I don't know if you've ever read it, but some of the laws that are in there, there there's just some interesting stuff there. There's, there's actually 600, and I think 613 laws in, 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 um, in the Torah. And, um, and this was, this was life. Um, for the Israelites people, right? This, their lives revolved around this. In fact, this is, uh, kind of central verse, um, for the Israelites in, um, in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, you can go there and, and I'll read a couple of verses in there. Um, but Deuteronomy chapter six, listen to verse one. Listen to what it says. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life, right? So these are commands, decrees, teaching, instruction from God. This is Torah. And then, like, listen to what it says um, in verse 3. It says, Hear Israel, um, and be careful to obey so that you may, so that it may go well with you, and you may increased greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, the land that they were promised, that they were going into, that God had promised them that they would possess. Uh, Just as the Lord your God of the Lord, the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be, um, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart, right? So on your heart, they're supposed to be in the depths of our soul. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This scripture is teaching us that, hey, this is this law isn't just something that um, that God gave for the Israelites or gave to the Israelites, but it was something that was supposed to be central to their lives, right? Impress them on your hearts. Write them on your arms. Uh, maybe first tattoo, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, um, but hey, there that could be, um, I don't know, uh, on your forehead, face tattoos, those are kind of trending today. Um, but write them on your forehead, right? It is saying that this is so central to your life that when you look in the mirror, this is what you should see, right? This, this is what should shape your life. And for the Israelites, that's what this became. The Torah was a thing that their lives revolved around. It was precious to them. Their parents talked about it in the home. It wasn't just when they went to the synagogue, but their parents talked about it in the home. They taught it to their kids. It's the most important thing. This is the law of God, all 600. 113 laws that are there in the Old Testament. We, we, we focus in on the Ten Commandments, right? Those ten that are easy to remember and that um, it, it was a time... Oh, never mind. Uh, well, those uh, had a public place in our society, uh, which, which is no more, which that, um, that probably is a good thing. Um, but, uh, and we can talk about that if you want to talk about that, but uh, I'm not, I don't have, I'll get distracted if I talk about that now. But, um, <clears throat> but, but there once played a very strong and specific uh, role in, in our society and they were impressed on the people and they began to shape their lives. In fact, it was the thing that determined whether or not they were uh, adequate enough to approach and appear before God uh, and, and were acceptable to God. And so when we, when we get to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, these instructions, these laws, I think one of the key and crucial questions which we should ask of every part of scripture that we ever read is how does this fit in with the whole, right? How does this law, and that's really the question that we're trying to address this morning, is how does the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the, the 613 commandments, the instruction of God that we find in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, how does that, and some of the crazy stuff that, that we're like, is that really in the Bible? Like, how does that, just read Leviticus, right? Just just start, I think, verse uh, chapter 18 or somewhere around there. So some of that crazy stuff. I uh, just read it and you're like, how does this fit in? 
And, and I think what we have to get, which we disconnect from when we look back at the Bible uh, in retrospect as Christians, people who believe in Jesus, when we look back at the Bible, one of the things that we fail to see is that the Torah did and what God did with and through the Torah, the law of God, is that he shaped and formed a people who had a distinct identity, right? And that those people were formed for a very specific purpose. So like we read back in the Old Testament and even the Israelites at the time, um, they, they missed something that God was doing in their lives, right? Because they, they were so wrapped up in this. God is forming us as a people that's so separate from everybody else. And he's promising us this place, right? This promised land. Uh, and, and they saw, they, they focused on the people that they were becoming and the place that God was taking them. And they missed that God was promising them and the entire world, right? Not just the people, but the entire world, a blessing beyond what they could ever imagine. In fact, if you look back in Genesis chapter, chapter 12, this is a fantastic, um, uh, passage of scripture where God is calling Abram, who, who will later be named as, uh, known as Abraham, who the, um, um, I think that's actually in the Bible. If not, there's a song that kids sing like in Sunday school that talks about Father Abraham had many sons, right? Um, I think that's, I think they call him Father Abraham in the Bible. Listen to what it says in verse, verse one of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, right? That's good, right? I will bless you. I am, I am God. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great. All this sounds good. Abraham's celebrating there. Thumbs up. And you, you will be a blessing. That's good, right? You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And that's the point that the Israelites, I, I, um, in, in retrospect, at least as I see it, I think they missed that, right? That all people on earth will be blessed through you. They, they missed the point that God was forming them as a people in order to bless the entire world. God was using the Torah, the law of God, to shape them, to form them, to have a distinct identity because he was going to use them in a very specific way that necessitated them being a people through which he could bless the world. And so when we look back at the Torah, our, our first uh, instinct or our first go-to shouldn't be, okay, what, what do I have to obey or um, um, uh, what rule do I, do I follow and which one do I, do I not? But it's how did God use this to shape a people through which he blessed the world and that blessing came to us. It arrived here as Jesus Christ, right, in flesh and blood. If you look even in John chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, this is a key uh, scripture often memorized a great one to memorize for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him uh, and so that, that's that's the blessing right that the blessing that God was forming and shaping the Israelites for right has arrived in Jesus Christ all all that God was doing and all that that's pointing to, right, is, has arrived in what, what God has, has um, I think it's Galatians calls this the fullness of time, right? Um, that, that almost like God was, what God, was, um, God was pregnant with this plan that he was giving birth to on earth and it happened through a people that were shaped by the law. You see, the arrival of Jesus changed the way we view the law. The arrival of Jesus changed the way we view the law. And so there's three ways, I think. Um, there are three ways, not I think. There are, there are three ways, at least, um, that scriptures show us um, that, that uh, the arrival of Jesus has, has changed things uh, and, and, and what it did. And then the first thing that Jesus teaches, and this is at the very beginning of his ministry, he teaches that, that, um, that his arrival, that Jesus arrived, right, and he fulfilled the law, that Jesus arrived and he fulfilled the law. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, and this is um, like right after Jesus' baptism, right at the very beginning of his ministry, it's um, quite possibly the first uh, public message of Jesus, right, that he, that he sat down and he, and he taught people, right? Um, it's possibly his first message known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and it starts with these Beatitudes, but very quickly it gets to verse 17. Listen to what he says. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, and the prophets. And sometimes in the church, um, that 
we, we treat the Old Testament as though God is, um, like, like, we don't even need to read that. Like, who, who, when's the last time you read Leviticus? Um, it's not very exciting. Um, uh, and so, like, a lot of times we treat that as, like, we'll jump to Jesus and miss the law, right? And, but he says, don't think that I've come to abolish it, right? That's not erased out of your Bible. That's not, um, that's not for you to, that's not, uh, that's not in there so that you will praise God that you don't have to read that section of the Bible, right? It, it, that's not the reason why that's there, right? He says, don't come to think that I've, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's still beneficial, and we're going to see why. Uh, he says, I've come to abolish, I've, I've come I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? So Jesus is saying that I've come to fulfill the law. And really what he's saying there with his word fulfill, and it's a little tricky, but what he's saying is that all that, all that the law was about and, and all that it pointed to in this world um, was Jesus. And so the, everything you read, all of these laws, all 613 of them, even the 10 that we like to focus on and memorize, right? All of that in some way points to Jesus Christ himself. In fact, if you look, and I came across this verse, and every now and then, this is why you read the Bible um, multiple times and why you can read it over and over again, because I came across this passage in John that I just don't remember, and I know John's like my favorite book of the Bible, um, and I came across this passage, and uh, and I don't remember ever seeing it before, but in John chapter um, chapter 5, listen to, listen to what it says. It says, there's two different ones here. John chapter 5, I'm going to read in verse 39. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, right? But these very scriptures that testify about me, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life, right? That the scriptures themselves, and when Jesus is talking about scripture, he's not talking about right here, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, any of the, any of the New Testament stuff. He's talking about all this Old Testament stuff, probably the Torah, right? He's, he's focusing in on that. And he's saying that was the scripture because nothing, nothing else had been written. Like New Testament hadn't been written at th- that point. So he's saying that you read the scriptures, but you don't, and you think that in them, right, you can obey the law, right? You can live according to the law and that somehow you're going to attain life. But what he's saying is what you don't realize is that all of that is pointing to me and that life is found in me. That's in Jesus, right? That life is only found in him. Look at uh, verse 45, that same chapter in John chapter 5. If we drop down just a little bit, it says, But do not think, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, right? Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes Rest. Now, the Torah um, was written by Moses. First five books of the Old Testament, Moses composed them. He put them together, right? And so that, that was known as like the Mosaic Law, the books of Moses. Um, so those first five books of the Old Testament, the law was known as that. So he's saying, you, you've put your hopes in Moses, right? In your ability to obey these laws. And in fact, if you read in the New Testament, sometimes you hear uh, mention of the Pharisees, which Jesus was somewhat at odds with sometimes, um, because what they did was... Um, that 613 laws weren't good enough for them. Uh, and so they surrounded them with their own set of laws to keep them from even getting close. So like if, if the Torah, if, if, if the law of God said, I don't know, I mean, let me just give an example. Um, this this whole idea of Sabbath rest. And it said you can only walk, um, let's say it can, you can only walk five blocks on Sabbath, right? Um, uh, or or it say, the Bible would say, rest on sabbath and the pharisees would say you can only walk five blocks that's all you got on on uh, on sabbath right because they would put these laws around the law of god to ensure that we didn't get close to um to uh, to to failing to observe god's law but he says um you put your hopes on that right that somehow you're going to become good according to the law and we know the new testament says that's not possible it says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. I, I, yeah. He wrote about me. Now, never once did he mention Jesus. Never once did he call his name. But Moses wrote about Jesus because all that was in the Old Testament has arrived in Jesus Christ. It was all pointing forward to Jesus. In verse 47, it says, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You see, the Old Testament and the Old Testament law is important to us um, because it's fulfilled by Jesus Christ. All of it is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And so the thing that we must do since uh, Jesus... Uh, um, um, since Jesus fulfilled the law, is we have to put our focus on 
Jesus. We have to fix our focus on Jesus Christ himself. Because here we have um, now standing today and looking back, we have more than 4,000 years of history of God doing specific things from Abraham to Jesus to today. And all of that was intended for us to look toward Jesus as our hope. And so we read the law, and we read the law differently. We read the law as pointing clearly to how inadequate we are in terms of people trying to live righteous. And we look at the law so that we can see how adequate Jesus is and how Old Testament law pointed to him and how he fulfilled it. He lived perfectly by it. He showed us how what it looks like for an individual, a human being, to live according to the law so that we would focus on him and fix our eyes on, on Jesus. And I think if we read the Old Testament through this different lens, it doesn't necessarily make Leviticus any more exciting. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make that claim. It doesn't make it any more, um, 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 bedside reading unless you, you know, um, are like me and fall asleep with your face in a book at night. Um, it doesn't make it any more that kind of easy, but it changes the way that we read it, right? That God had a plan from a long, long, long time ago, and that all of this was shaping a people. And, and I, and the thing that, that and I, and it feels funny saying this because it's like, of course, like as a person of faith, this would be true, but that God was successful in forming those people. And we do have Jesus because what God did in shaping a people through the law, it worked. It worked. Um, and, and we can look back in history and we can, we can see the church today um, and we can see the church beginning through Jesus and we can say hey, it worked. So while, while I, I, I don't understand why there are some things in the Old Testament and some of those laws, I, I don't understand God's purpose behind them, it worked. It shaped the people through which we received Jesus. He fulfilled the law. Second thing we see that Jesus does is that he reaffirms the law. That Jesus reaffirms the law. So he doesn't, he doesn't abolish it. He doesn't toss it out. In fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, um, um, where it says he did not come to abolish it, he continues by reaffirming the law. If you look in like, um, in, in, in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, he talks about murder, right? Which is one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Um, and so he talks about murder and he reaffirms the law. And, and in fact, he kind of strengthens it a little bit, right? He, he clarifies it for us. He talks about adultery, right? He reaffirms that. He talks about divorce and he reaffirms that man was meant for woman and they weren't meant to be uh, divorced. They weren't meant to separate. And he clarifies that for us. He talks about oaths and eye for an eye and that relationship stuff that's in the Bible, right? Right in that section. Some of this difficult stuff that we like to overlook, right? He talks about love and loving your enemies, stuff we don't want to hear sometimes. He talks about generosity here, right? Because what, what Jesus does is he doesn't abolish the law and get, get rid of it. In fact, he sounds uh, in many ways much like some of the stuff that's in Leviticus and Exodus because he's reaffirming it. He's telling us that, yeah, um, the morals of, of the Old Testament law, right? Stuff given to you from God is still good. And what Jesus teaches us points to the very fact that it's God's will still today for his people to form this countercultural, if you will, community of people who live different from the world. Right? So we don't uh, um we don't, that one's hard because, you know, that's bad everywhere, but we don't murder, right? We, we don't or shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't divorce. We should love our enemies, not just our neighbors and friends, but we should love our enemies different than the world. We should be more forgiving. We should be more generous. Jesus is reaffirming the law and saying, hey, that's still good for you. And I'm going to reaffirm it and I'm going to model it in my own life. And, and that's clearly seen uh, through what Jesus taught in the scriptures and throughout his his own life. And so um, he reaffirms the law. So so that means um, that we study the way of Jesus in the church. We study 
the way of Jesus. And so I think the tendency is to go back and look at the Old Testament. Um, and I've, I've been there. I've done that and say, okay, which one, which of, which of these? I like, I like ribs and pork and stuff. Uh, so which, which of these 613? Because I, I don't know whether I can like be a Christian if I gotta give up. I, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying that's what some people say. Uh, if I have to give up barbecue, right? Um, if I, if I gotta give up, give up ribs, right? So, so, uh, and we're going like, which of these six, how do I pick and choose which one, uh, is God's will for me and which one is adequate for me? And, and we don't have to do that, right? Because we have Jesus, right? And so we, we look at the example and practice of Jesus Christ himself. Which law did Jesus reaffirm? What did Jesus reaffirm? What did we see practiced in his own life? And that's what he's teaching us is, is his will. So we study, yeah, the book of, uh, Gospel of John. We study, um, the Gospels. Are great Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—the first four books of the um, of, of the um, of the New Testament. Those are good. thank you. Um, the, the, those are those are good for us, right? Those are good for us, and in fact, it's, they are they are adequate for for faith in Jesus Christ and and living the life that God intended us to live. And so we're. We do look at the Old Testament, and that shouldn't be crossed out of our Bible and out of our reading. But we look at it as something that points us to Jesus. We focus on him, and we, we, uh, we, we study his way, right? Um, Paul says this, right? He says, I want to know Christ, right? Um, and that has to be the desire of our heart. Is that not, not I want to memorize all 613 laws and form other laws around them, but I want to know Christ. I want to follow him. The scriptures have, have, have chosen, what God has chosen is through the scriptures to form us as a people who follow Jesus Christ and his example. And so, yeah, we, we, we look at the laws and we say, hey, what did, what did Jesus do? What did, what did he, what, you know, what, what did he reaffirm? What did he teach for us that is, is good and true and right? Um, and that's, that's what we do. And the third thing that we see here is that Jesus did, um, he did, and I struggled with this word all week, but he, he replaced the law. He, he replaced the law. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and remember, he didn't abolish it, didn't get rid of it. He fulfilled it, um, and he reaffirmed it, but he also replaced it. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, and this is some of the tension that the scriptures uh, sort of call us to live into. Um, and the challenge of living as a people, and particularly if we try to um, to make the Old Testament fully uh, binding on us, right? We're living in, in the new under a new covenant, New Testament, right, with God. And so, um, look look at Hebrews ten. Hebrews is this great great um, book of the Bible to study how we relate uh, to the Old Testament. But um, chapter ten, verse one. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, right? So the Torah, the Old Testament, first five books uh, of the Bible, they're only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, um, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, uh, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And so in the Old Testament, you can read about it, all about these temple practices, right? That people would offer these sacrifices up to God, right? In order to push back their sins and make them acceptable to God, right? Clean in God's eye, right? It says those, those only, um, uh, they're offered endlessly year after year. They make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, um, th- th- they can never do that. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Remind me to come back to that. Like, if I don't come back to that verse, just raise your hand. Um, but never no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those realities are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, right? With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, this is tricky, and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were, they, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So even though you did exactly what the law said in terms of offering these burnt offerings, sacrifices to God, right, even though you did that, um, you were not pleased, God was not pleased with them. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. 
He sets aside the first, that's the first covenant, the Old Testament even, um, to establish the second, a new covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Right? Verse 10 is key. And by that will, we have been made holy through the, we have been made holy, the church, right, have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Right? It doesn't say you've been made holy because you memorized all these laws and you finally have gotten them down in your life, right? And you're finally living according to them and doing the right stuff, right? It didn't say that, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have been made holy. Now, if I, if I go back to verse 3, I think that is where, but those sacrifices are annual reminder of sins. It is impossible, uh, or verse 2. Otherwise, they, that's, I think that's where, <clears throat> y'all, somebody's supposed to remind me. All right, yeah, y'all are on it. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered, right? Those sacrifices. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Right? Because we actually stand holy before God because of what Jesus has done. Right? In the Old Testament, you were constantly offering sacrifices and continually sinking in your guilt because your sins were never removed and you were never made holy before God once and for all. But what Hebrews 10 is teaching us is that now we stand before God with no guilt and no shame, no embarrassment, and it's not because we got this right, right? It's not because we finally cleaned up our life, right? It's not because my friends look at me and say, ooh, look at you, you're doing the right thing, right? You've gotten that under... It's not because of any of that. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, and now what he has done has made me holy, and I can actually accept that, and I can go before God with confidence, knowing that I stand holy, guiltless, shameless, no embarrassment before God. And when we get that, then that passage in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, should we continue in sin so that grace may increase? When we get that kind of radical grace, right, as opportunists that we are, right, our tendency is to take advantage of that all day, right? I can be confident and, and guiltless and shameless and not embarrassed before God and stay in my sins. Uh, and Paul's like, no, that's not the way it works, right? When we get what God has done uh, for us and the fact that he's made us holy before God, we joyfully follow in the way of God, right? When we really get what the Christian life is all about and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's no more... Um, uh, we, we treat the, we treat the scriptures and the instructions that we find there for our life as burdens weighing us down. But what God intended them for is for our freedom, so that we can walk lighter, right? Um, because this is something we joyfully we do because we know that the way of the Lord is good and right and leads us in the path of life. And that's what that's what the scriptures are trying to get us to see. That this Old Testament law was leading to Jesus. But in Jesus, some of that stuff was replaced. Right? These um, uh, temple sacrifices, temple worship, temple protocol, and um, these burnt offerings and sacrifices and things that we were uh, offering up to God and had to have a priest as our intermediary, intermediary to go between us and God and speak to God on our behalf because we were not clean, because we had eaten pork and touched stuff we weren't supposed to touch and do, do you know I mean, all that kind of stuff, right? That, that, that stuff that's meant for our cleanliness, that, um, that, that uh, Jesus has replaced that because he has made us clean. And here's what he does. He models that because there were like Old Testament laws that were against touching dead bodies. And what does Jesus do, right? There were Old Testament laws that are against touching people with diseases like lepers. And what does Jesus do? There, there were um, uh, yeah, laws against touching um, uh, women during certain times of the year. And what does Jesus do, right, to the women with the issue of blood? Like his, um, um, what does he do? Right? He touches, he lays his hand on people and things that the Old Testament called unclean, right, because he was modeling for us. He was modeling for us that in Christ we are made 
clean. In Christ, we are made holy. And he's challenging us to trust the sufficiency, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so he replaced the law so that we can trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that we really are clean and we really do stand holy before God. So if we go back to our question that we, um, that we started with, um, why do Christians uphold some laws and traditions of the Old Testament and not others? For example, marrying multiple women, burnt offerings, tithing, eating pork, truly honoring the Sabbath, etc. Also, why do we recognize the Sabbath on Sunday when it appears as though it should be Saturday? Um, we see that this whole marrying other women's thing, um, the Scripture never really commanded us to do that, right? That, that wasn't in the Old Testament, uh, nor is it in the New, so you don't have permission to be a polygamous, right? Um, scripture never commands us to marry more than one person. In fact, Jesus reaffirmed that marriage is one man and one woman together for a lifetime. If you want to read that scripture, jot it down because he talk, teaches about, um, teaches about marriage there. And so that, that's something that was, um, that's something, and I read something this week and maybe somebody can even, if you've ever read anything about this, that's something that, that, uh, that just because, let me put it this way, just because something was permitted, right? And just because someone that God used did it, doesn't mean it's right, right? Um, I don't want you following my example in every way, just as you shouldn't follow Abraham's example in every way, or nor should you follow David's example in the Bible in every way, um, because he did some raunchy stuff. I was just saying, you read some of those stories, it could be soap opera, right? Um, and so just because somebody in the Old Testament did it doesn't mean it's Right, right. Just because Solomon had 700 something wives and 300 concubines doesn't mean you can marry as many people as you want. It was never in the Old Testament just because holy people and a man after God's own heart like David might have done it doesn't mean right. Now, what I read this week, um, that that let me come back to that, but what I read this week was, um, and I don't, I don't know, it's a good idea. What I read this week was that, uh, in biblical times especially, it was, um, it was a little less civilized and uh, there was a lot more brutality and men went off to, to war and many of them lost their lives and many of them were outnumbered um, or, or they, they were, um, there were um, fewer men than women. And in that society, women did not, there was not equal opportunity at that point. Uh, and women could, needed a man in order to survive in biblical times. And there were more women than men. Therefore, uh, if a woman was going to have any kind of quality of life, she would have needed to be married in a society culture where she could not get a job or could not find employment. And therefore, it was permitted in that time. I'm not saying that's gospel. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying it made sense to me. Um, so there are some things in certain times in history in culture that were permitted. And that's one of the things that happened uh, in, in Old Testament that we see. God didn't like strike people down for doing it, but that doesn't mean he put a stamp on it either. And it was never, it was never commanded. All right, second thing, burnt offerings. Uh, we see, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, right, that Jesus became the sufficient sacrifice for all sins for all times. Sacrifices for sins are no longer necessary, right? We no longer have to offer sacrifices to be forgiven for our sins because in Jesus we have been forgiving. Things like tithing, the next one, what we see is Jesus is teaching, uh, reaffirming the practice of tithing, but he taught against the illegalism that often accompanies it, that um, he, he's teaching that we don't have to, like, um, see, get our paycheck and our calculator out and calculate our tithe to a dime, right? He's teaching that that's not uh, what he intended. Rather, he emphasizes generosity. He emphasizes generosity, um, which is the practice of giving freely and not being bound to a rule or a law, right? So he taught more about generosity, and that's one passage where he does it. But you see it throughout all of the teachings of Jesus. He teaches generosity as, a, as, as something that's even beyond the tithe and not being bound to that, not saying, I'm giving my 10% and that's it, right? <laughs> you can have my 10%, God, but nothing else. And that's not what God intended. He wanted us to live freely and generously. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, hey, if somebody even takes your coat, get, uh, 
um, your shirt, give them your coat as well, or something like that. Give them more than what they've even taken from you. He teaches this radical generosity. Um, what we see about eating pork, right? Um, that this had to do with ceremonial cleanliness. You could only approach God if you were clean. That's Old Testament law, right? Jesus declared all food clean, and he even ignores cleanliness laws. We talked about that by touching leopards and dead bodies. You see that some in this that scripture there, if you want to read, read that. Um, and then about truly honoring um, the Sabbath. What we see is that Jesus never commanded Sabbath practice, right? And Jesus and his disciples, in fact, broke the Sabbath um, by doing good work on the Sabbath and like picking food and that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if they was really working in the garden, but that kind of stuff, you can read these verses. And today, the Sabbath is beneficial, right? That, that didn't change, right? Having a day of rest. And I tell you, this is, this is one of the things that it, it does. It's a fantastic spiritual discipline. It reminds us, it reminds us that the things that are important on this world, in this world to us, don't be- depend on us and that we can rest and the world will not stop because there's a God who is in control. And so you may say, I got so much stuff to get done. I, gotta, I can't take a day of rest. I can't take Sabbath. The world isn't going to end. Let me, just in case you're worried about that. The world isn't going to end. It's still going to go if you stop and rest and allow God to strengthen your faith through the practice of Sabbath. It's a beneficial practice, but never does the scripture say, um, uh, you, you have to, like in the New Testament, right? Never does it affirm, does Jesus reaffirm Sabbath? practice. And then the, the final one, again, about Sabbath is also, why do we recognize Sabbath on Sunday when it appears as though it should be Saturday? And this is often confused uh, in, in the church, but we don't, we actually in the church, we don't practice Sabbath on Sunday. And the church, early church began worshiping on Sunday uh, uh, as a way of um, of looking back, and what do I have up there? And recognizing, um, <clears throat> worship, I, I forgot the answer was up there. Worshiping on Sunday as a way of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus rose from, from the dead, right? And they began worshiping on Sunday, but not as a day of saying, this is my day of break and my rest. I'm not doing anything. I'm taking Sabbath, right? They began worshiping as a way of honoring, honoring God. So this isn't, this isn't Sabbath, right? Sunday isn't Sabbath. That actually Sabbath day, seventh day of the week would be Saturday. Um, and it's a good practice to rest. Um, it's beneficial for you. And on Sunday, we come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the thing I want you to see more than anything is that the, the Bible as a whole was all about Jesus. That from beginning to end, it's pointing us to Jesus. That the scriptures give us permission to fix our focus on Jesus because in him there is life in him there is hope in him there is fullness of joy and there's not the burden of the old testament law apart from Jesus that only made us feel guilty and inadequate and sinful before a holy and righteous God. But in Jesus, there's confidence because he's covered us. He's made us clean. He's made us holy. And the, uh, the mesmerizing thing about Jesus, you know, there's that phrase, forgive and forget. And there's a reality that we never really forget, right? When someone hurts you deeply, we forgive, but we never really forget. But the Bible says that God has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. That there's a God that's not remembering our sins and holding them over our heads. That's mesmerizing. And all of Scripture is pointing us to that a good and holy and righteous God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly and not to hold it over our head as see what I did and what you can't do, but to say, I'm going to cover you with my perfection that you might be holy as well. And that's the joy of the Christian life. Let's pray. 
God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to uh, join together as people who've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. That now we know um, that we don't have to be ashamed and we don't have to live in guilt. And it's not about us getting all the Old Testament laws right and we don't have to pick and choose or any of that stuff. We can simply follow Jesus. We can simply study his life. We can see his way and we can be confident that as long as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, as long as we strive day after day to live more like him, that here we stand before you, blameless and pure and accepted and holy. God, we celebrate that this morning. And God, I just pray that right now we will celebrate it even more. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to...